about the suicide itself, all I know that he knows is that I tried to hurt myself. And the words that he used were, wasn't he enough for me? That was hard. He meaning Julian. Wasn't yes. he himself enough for yes. you? Yes. Yes. Mm. And that was hard to yeah. hear. Tell Me About Your Kids is a chance for you to listen in on unscripted conversations with connected parenting specialist Bonnie Harris. As she talks with real parents like you about real struggles like yours, these counseling sessions get to the heart of why our buttons get pushed as parents and offer tips and advice useful no matter your child's age. Listen in and subscribe to let go of old habits and raise your kids in a way that feels good. If you're having a parenting challenge and need help, visit BonnieHarris.com for free resources, schedule a session, or get a free one-on-one counseling session by becoming a podcast guest. We're all in it together. You're not alone. Thanks for listening. Tell me about your kids. Welcome back to Tell Me About Your Kids with Bonnie Harris. I'm Adam Ranoni, her intro co-host and producer. Uh, intro co-host. That's yeah. an interesting title. I mean, I think it's accurate. Intro co-host. Yes, that's exactly accurate. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Proceed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Can I, let me let me get to my co-hosting. Okay. Um, my intro co-hosting. Uh, this episode uh, that you're going to hear today brought up uh, something that I, I I just don't feel like we've necessarily talked about a lot on this podcast, which is the idea of reinvention, the idea of reinventing yourself um, as a parent, as a grown-up after you've been through something that has been incredibly traumatic for you and your family, Mm. for the people around you, Mm. um, and who you choose to become out of that because your situation has forced you to uh, recalibrate everything. Yeah. Um, And so, do you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking of the term phoenix. It's like rising from the ashes. Yes, exactly. Very phoenix-like. So, your guest today was Ginger, um, who was lovely and... Uh, you guys had a, a a pretty powerful conversation about this, about reinvention or coming back and reconnecting with your kid after um, a traumatic incident. And in this case, um, it was uh, a suicide attempt uh, that Ginger dealt with. Um, she was the one who tried to commit suicide. Um, and that was connected to a long list of things, uh, what seems like decades long about with depression um, and and many other things that she talks about on the podcast, but, uh, and how this affected her and her relationship with her two children, specifically with her oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, with the her 11-year-old. 11-year-old with her son. Um, but that, but that, this is what I kept coming back to while I was listening to it. It, it just made me think, well, here's someone who has been at the bottom mm-hmm. and now has, you know, um, brought themselves back and is now trying to live a life that is meaningful and full of joy and 
doing the absolute best that she can. Mm-hmm. And that's a yeah. sometimes yeah. That's, a, that's an impossible thing. Some a lot of people don't come back a from that. A lot of people don't. And she's doing a very admirable job and she's of course in a lot of pain because her son has not fully come back. He 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 really needs some healing from it and who knows how long that will take and what it requires from her to be able to help him with it. That's what the struggle's all about here. You know, patience is a necessity with your children the same way that you hope that they're patient with you. It's kind of like when they have tantrums and when your kids are in the middle of of this intense breakdown and you're over it before they are and you have to just be patient and just wait. And that's why I said this is is very different than just a tantrum, Um, but it's – it's that it's that patience that gets us through. Usually, and his journey may take years, and it's going to be very hard because as parents, when we know what we want to have happen with our kids, we want it to have happened yesterday, mm. and it's very hard to wait days or weeks, much less years. Right. That's that's true. Well, I mean that that's what patience is. Yeah. It's a uh, a way of uh, finding peace and understanding uh, sort of outside of time. Mm, mm, that's nicely put. Okay. Well, as always, please go check the liner notes um, for information about our affiliates, Thrive Market and Earth Mama Organics. Uh, and, you know, you can get uh, some great deals. Uh, just follow those links. And, uh, you know, buying from them helps us, but only if you use those links. So that's important. Bonnie, you have anything else you want to tell anybody? No. All right, then. Here we go. Honesty can be tough when you fear your kids aren't ready to hear the facts. But honesty doesn't mean sharing every detail. Honesty does mean sharing the honest truth of how you feel. But when you go into defense mode against the perceived attacks of criticism, blame, and misunderstanding, those attacks feel like disrespect. It's hard to get to the why, the fear beneath the blame. To get underneath, wondering why anyone feels and behaves the way they do, can take you out of your own perception and see into others. Good morning, Ginger. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning. Nice to have you. So tell me about your kids. I have two kids. Julian is 11 and Phoebe is nine. And they're amazing kids. Mm -hmm. And um, we have been going through a rough few years um, with a divorce from my ex-husband and then his moving away and the kids moving schools and activities and uh, schedules shifting, and we are still in court 
Um, it's been two and a half years we've been in court and the kids are, you know, shuffled back and forth as we get new court orders and so things change mm-hmm. and it i don't think any of us expected it to go on for as long as it has and it is definitely affecting them um f- for a long time phoebe had really severe major temper tantrums um kicking and screaming and running out into the street after me and having to be mm. held back when i left and um for a long time, Julian seemed okay. Um, then he, for a long time, expressed that he didn't want to go to dad's because dad was was mean. And now it has shifted, and he doesn't want to come see me. He only wants to spend all of his time with dad. And he has pulled away from me a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm here seeking your advice on is right. how to reconnect. How to reconnect with Julian. Yes. Yes. So what's the custody arrangement right now? What? So much? I have very limited time right now. I have Tuesdays. I pick the kids up after school. And then we have a meeting spot where we meet at 8.30 p.m. And they go back to their dad's house. And then I get them again Saturday evening at 6.30 and return them at 6.30 on Sunday, so 24 hours. Okay. That might have been July-ish that we started that schedule, mm-hmm. um, so not not even a full year. And before that, I didn't have any overnights. I went into the hospital in November 2020, and my ex-husband filed an emergency motion that gave him temporary full custody. And then we went to a hearing not long after I got out. I was there for nine days. 10 days, maybe. And um, we've been in court ever since. Uh-huh. So uh, what went on with the kids while you were in the hospital? Um, they were with their dad. Right. And do you have? did you have any contact with them during that time? No, it was, as I said, it was 2020. So it was right in the midst of oh, COVID, right. everything. Oh, my gosh. So no visitors. Right. Um, I did have some phone calls, but it was tricky because I didn't want to give them too much information about what was going on, and they were confused, you know, why was I not home? So, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but I think I probably only had one or two phone calls in the nine or ten days that Mm -hmm. I was there. And what was going on? Um, So I, I... have had for uh, almost two decades a depression diagnosis, and I became overwhelmed with um, worry and stress over whether my business was going to survive COVID, um, the loss of my marriage, which had just occurred a few months prior, Mm. um, and... I guess just kind of general exhaustion from <laughs> life. Um, even even before my husband left, I had he worked overnights and often spent the night at his mom's. So even when he wasn't working, he wasn't home very much, and so I had the kids 
pretty much full time until they started school. Um, so I just and I had done a lot of work uh, to start the business and kind of was really go, go, go for three or four years. And then it just seemed to catch up to me and my mental health got worse. I began having some suicidal ideations, began self-harming, and what put me into the hospital in November was a more severe attempt on my life. Um, And I called a friend, and she came over, and she called the cops, and I went to the emergency room and ended up in a psych hospital. And that's where I was for the nine days. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's tough. So your kids went through being with you all the time to not having you at all. Yeah. Right. And they didn't know what was going on. They just knew you were in the hospital. Yeah. Did they have any information at all about um, well, they knew that I had depression. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really knew what that meant, mm-hmm. but they knew that it was connected to the reason that I was in the hospital. Um, and I think they might have been told also that I was just tired and I needed a break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, which was true. It's certainly not the whole picture, but it was true. Do you do you think that your husband, your ex-husband, would have been careful talking to them about what was going on with you? Or do you think he might have used I, this as a, you know, as things can happen? Yeah, I I do think for the most part that he would be careful. Um, at least I know he was back then trying to be careful um in in the time since that first hospital stay things have come to light that the kids know about that i believe are inappropriate for them to know about and i don't know whether they have been told directly or whether they're just overhearing conversations and he has most of the custody, most of the time. He does right now, yes. So I'm assuming all of this is what has affected Julian and is causing him to f- feel disconnected from you. Yes. And what do you, what do you hear from him? What do you get from him? Yeah, so, so first I'll just say that he initially was very reluctant to move. He moved an hour away to where his dad's dad lives, and he had to switch schools, and at first was very reluctant, but now he really likes his school. Mm. He likes the activity that he was doing. He switched that facility, and he likes the new one, and he hates change, has always hated change, and so... He didn't want to change in the first place, but now he doesn't want to change back. Right. And so he, I think, recognizes that every time we go to court, I'm getting a little bit more time. And he knows that change is coming. Mm. He knows that it's probably going to start to go back to a 50-50 custody arrangement 
And I think he's rebelling against that. And he also is acting on beliefs that many of which are untrue, many of which are exactly what has been said in court or what his dad thinks of me. And he is completely unwilling to listen to any alternate Mm. story. And what do you think the story is that he has in his head of what happened? Well, so about about the suicide itself, all he, all I know that he knows is that I tried to hurt myself, and the words that he used were, "Wasn't he enough for me?" That was hard. He meaning Julian, wasn't yes. he himself enough for yes. you? Yes, yes, mm. and that was hard to yeah. hear. The other things that I'm seeing are yelling, slamming doors, throwing things into walls, um, and just generally holding on to anger and a negative affect um, without any seeming ability to come out of it. Right. So he's or desire. very angry. And how about Phoebe? She is doing fine. She has the ability and does argue back with Julian when he says something that she knows is untrue about me. She Mm -hmm. kind of stands up for me a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, which is good and bad. I mean, I don't want the kids, you know, on opposite sides of each other. I don't want them to end up fighting. But at least she's able to recognize what I would hope Julian would recognize, you know, that that there are always two sides to a story. Right. right. So um, I th- I was asking you what you think Julian's story is in his head, um, and it all connects with wasn't I enough for you? Yes. So he thinks that the time that – the limited time that the kids have with me is because – I am unsafe to have them more than I do. Mm. And he has said that to me as well. He said, aren't you in court because the judge thinks it's unsafe for us to be mm. with you? Mm. So that that's How one. How did you respond to that? I thought about it for quite a while. And I said, yes, I think the judge does believe that but I don't, or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you and, know what unsafe means to him? Do you know what, mm. when he says unsafe, what does that mean? No, I don't. That's I don't a, know That's that maybe a good thing to find out. Yeah. Does that mean you're going to hit them? Right. Does that mean you're going to yell and scream and go off the handle? Does that mean you're likely to have another suicide attempt? Right. And I think that's really important to find out. So you could you could say to him at the appropriate time if he brings it up. What does what do you think that means that I might be unsafe for you to be with? What specifically do you think that means? 
Yeah, that that's very good. I will do that. Because um, I would hope that he would know that I'm not going to hurt them or exactly. go off the handle because I never have before. But But clearly something is at least swimming around there in his brain that goes, am I safe when mm -hmm. I'm with mom? Right, of course. And what is the, I mean, safe could refer to any kind of thing, yeah. you know? So you want to find that out. And if he says that you might try to kill yourself again, mm -hmm. how would you respond to that? We did have... A similar conversation, and I tried to explain to him how good I feel now and all of the changes that I've made to improve my mental health, including selling my business, which was such a weight off my shoulders, and I had no idea until I sold it how much it was dragging mm -hmm. me down, and now that I don't have it, has opened up so many possibilities for what I can do with my life. And so to me, not having it is a major piece in guaranteeing that I'm not going to get to that low point mm -hmm. anymore. Um, along the same lines, the divorce that was so raw when I went into the hospital is now two and a half years old. And so I'm, my mental health is not as affected by that as it was before. Um, and I am on medication that has had a huge impact as well. And I have tried, and I think this is a very similar story for many people that struggle with depression I've tried probably eight or nine different meds, mm -hmm. and some of them seemed like maybe they were working, but I wasn't really sure until I found one, and the difference that it makes is enormous. Oh, wow. That's uh, wonderful. Yeah, and it's so great for me, I mean, just to feel like like I like myself and my life and everything. Mm. Have and you so, shared that with Julian? Yes, yeah, so I've tried Good. to say those same things to him, mm -hmm. but I think it's probably hard for him to grasp not having the life experience right. or or the depression. You know, he hasn't seen the other side of it, so it's hard for him to know how much higher up I can get if he didn't know how down I was. Right, right. I just had a visceral feeling when you said how much I like myself. Mm. And if he hears you say that, I wonder what what that does for him. Yeah, I can, I think one of the things that I did say when we had this little conversation was that I can't guarantee that it's not going to happen again. Right, good. I just, I think that's probably a little bit scary. And you him. know how scary that's got to be, right? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. scary for me, too, because, yes, I feel amazing right mm -hmm. now, but sure, there's always a possibility, and I would like to mm -hmm. think that it won't happen again, but I guess I don't know for sure. And so I guess all I can do with Julian is to 
just be honest and I think that's to, yeah. absolutely the way to go. You know, he's not three or four and he can I think he can take from you talking about how you feel and you being honest and saying, I can tell you till the hills turn blue that I feel great now. I feel sure this is never going to happen again. And there's never a guarantee. Right. And one other thing I did share with him was that being in the hospital was actually really good for me because it allowed me to learn some tools and identify triggers so that I can be aware of anything that starts to bring me down at all. And so I can stop it before it gets even close to where I was two mm, years ago. That's great. So that's great. hopefully tools. him knowing that will help him feel more comfortable that, you know, even if I do start to go down again, I will be able to bring myself out of it. Mm -hmm. That's great. But now he, the important piece is that he learn that it had nothing to do with him. Right. And that's the hard part. So, and that's where the anger comes from. Yeah. I think. What have you shared with him about, how have you talked about that? Have I okay. talked about it? I'm not really sure. Our, our only conversations about this have been very brief um, because his sister doesn't know a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to make sure that I'm alone with him when we're talking mm -hmm. about it. Which, and you don't have a lot of time. No. So it's hard to find the time. Right. Um, when he said to you, wasn't I enough for you? I imagine that just took you into a very sinking place and probably you didn't respond. I didn't because we I was in the kitchen preparing dinner. He was in the living room just mm. like yelling about all these different things. His mm. sister was right there in the kitchen with me. And because she didn't really know what he was talking about, I didn't want to engage in a conversation about it right then. Right. So it it got said and then a couple of weeks went by before we were able to sit down and talk about it. Um, but he did admit to being afraid that I was going to to die. So, you know, I, I do think that he is willing to talk about it to some extent, you mm -hmm, know, to, at least mm -hmm. to voice what he's feeling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He may not want a response from me. So I think when you get the opportunity, I think it would be important to say... Julian, I want you to know that I have never forgotten and never will your comment about not being enough for me. And would that wasn't that the reason why this all happened for me? And really tell him that it is always there in your mind. And that you haven't known quite how to address it. And then let's, so let's right now think about what you can, what you can say, how you can address that, because I think that's the core of it. He thinks he wasn't enough. Right. And if he doesn't think he was enough to keep you from that, then 
there is a worthlessness he feels. And it's out of that worthlessness that that anger toward you is coming because you're the one who has pointed out in, Mm. you know, quote unquote here that he's worthless. Yeah. I I feel so bad for making him feel like that. Um, The one question that I have is whether I should share with him. So I felt like when I was making that attempt, I felt like I was not a good mother. I felt like the kids would be better off without me. I thought I was actually doing what was good for them mm-hmm. by leaving. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's worth sharing or whether with him or whether that would make it worse. This is a really good question. I think you could say... This is probably going to sound really strange to you, and I don't know if you're old enough yet to understand this. However, when this happened, it was because I didn't think I was good enough for you. Mm -hmm. And just see what he does with that, you know? Yeah. And it would be absolutely wonderful if, if that, you know, if you saw his eyes open wide and that kind of wonder coming in, mm-hmm. and then you've got a place to go yeah. and talk. Yeah. And then you can talk about human nature and how strange it is and how here he got the message, but he was the one who wasn't good enough. Right. When in fact, that's how you were feeling. Yeah. I think we all forget that everybody is always so focused on themselves. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And especially children. Yeah. It's very natural that he felt that way. And that's what needs to change. And it is very possible for it to change. Yeah. It's just, it's his perception, right? That is because it's always our perception, our thoughts, our ideas, our fears, those cognitive thoughts that provoke our feelings. Yeah. That's where our emotions come from, our thoughts. And then our emotions then provoke our reactions. So his angry, slamming doors, yelling, all of that is coming from his feeling of being worthless. And that feeling of worthlessness comes from his perception. And if he can, and it might be a long journey, if he can change that perception, then he'll realize it's not about his worthlessness at all. Julian cannot deal with the pain of worthlessness, of not being enough, and therefore must lay all his anger and blame on his mother in order to survive the fear of her permanently leaving him. If his mother chose to check out, to leave and never come back, is it any wonder that an eight-year-old, fresh out of the egocentric stage of development, made the decision that she didn't want him? And if she didn't want him, he must not be good enough for her. He has a journey ahead to learn to trust again. 
Ever lose it with your kids and yell those words you swore you never would? You know what it feels like when your button gets pushed and nothing can rescue you. In a nanosecond, a certain look, a defiant behavior, you go from zero to 60 and react in parenting road rage. Your rational brain goes offline and the emotional memories from your own childhood get triggered, unbeknownst to you. When Your Kids Push Your Buttons and What You Can Do About It is the book that will help you understand where your buttons come from, why your kids push them, and how you can diffuse them so you can choose to parent the way you intend and heal old wounds at the same time. Please check the liner notes to find links to Amazon for the paperback and Audible for the audiobook. My action steps are to go have a conversation with him. Um, But in the past month or so, he has been completely unwilling to engage with me Mm -hmm. in conversation. We get home and he immediately goes upstairs to his room and Mm -hmm. slams his door. And Mm -hmm. if I try to ask him to come down for dinner or whatever, he yells Mm -hmm. at me to get out of his room. Mm And so I will certainly make an attempt at engaging in conversation. So it's get, it's it's breaking that ice, and and that's so. I wouldn't focus on the conversation right yet. I would focus on having just a little bit of time with him, not saying anything, being safe. And I'm wondering what's the best way to do that. Yeah, I I also wanted to ask about addressing the behavior that is not acceptable, in my opinion. You know, right. you can't be throwing things against the wall, and and it's disrespectful to be yelling at me. And I well, I don't think you can go with the disrespectful piece because that's it's coming out of his anger, right? And you're the one who feels disrespected. He just feels angry. And he might want to, you know, in his in his self-protection, because when we act like that, when we behave in very aggressive, angry ways like that, it's always a self-protection. Yeah. And sometimes that self-protection is quiet and shutting down in shame. But for him, he's being aggressive yeah. with it and it's a it's a way to keep you and his pain which he associates away from him right. to protect himself. Yeah, he when we did have a conversation, he asked a very interesting question. He said, "If Yelling at you is the way that I express my anger, then why should I not be allowed to do that? Mm. And I didn't really have an answer because I do certainly want him to be able to express his emotions. It, I, I don't know. I struggle yeah, with that. That's a, um, he's a smart kid. He's very boy. smart. Whew. Yeah. And so, you know, listening to you kind of saying that his emotions are coming through in this aggressive behavior, I guess, brings up the question for me, does that mean that I allow it? No, it, you don't allow, 
you don't allow him to abuse you with it. You do allow the emotions. So the question is, how do you yeah <laughs> how do you draw that line how do you make that distinction yeah i so if he's if he's well tell me what he he might do that that feels disrespectful to you um well so the, the yelling that he does is directed at me and at specific things that i have done like I've started to notice some little ants crawling in the bathroom. And he actually was the first one to point it out. And he said something like, Mom, this house is a dump. We need to hire an exterminator. I can't believe how disgusting this is. And in an even more negative and accusatory tone than mm -hmm. I just used here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just one example, but it's... Okay, so you take it and I understandably so, you take it as his criticism of you for keeping a disgusting house. Well, yeah, and I just feel that he could have said, hey, mom, I noticed a couple ants in the bathroom. I just wanted to let you know in case, but you know. But let me point out, in his current emotional state, he cannot say that. Okay. That is not something you can expect. Okay. You can expect that he's going to dump it on you because it is so important to him for his personal survival to make, put the blame on you. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is okay. This is what we want to work on. Right. But in terms of what you can expect from him, he cannot do that, okay. have that a rational, calm right. idea okay. about that. Okay. So what I would do is to say, oh, yeah, I, I have noticed those ants. Let's do something about it. I'm going to start with getting some ant killer. Mm -hmm. Which I did. And, right. You know. And let him know that you're hearing his words. You are not taking the accusation, but you are hearing that he doesn't like seeing these ants. Okay. Right? Yeah. And acting on that. Okay, let's do that. So you're letting go. You're just deflecting right. the the accusatoriness okay. of it. So anything that he throws at you like that, if you can pull out just what it something that you can take action on or or maybe apologize for, yeah. then Go with that and let the accusatory tone alone because that's not going to go away until he feels safer with you. Now, okay. this is a different kind of safer, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, emotional right. safety. So, which he doesn't understand. Right. Does that make sense? Does that feel doable? It does, yes. It, it, it's very doable and... I do feel like I've said many times, I'm sorry you feel that way for things that I don't agree with him on. So, you know, I'm trying to let him know that I hear him. Mm -hmm. The thing about saying I'm sorry that you feel that way is a little bit passive aggressive. You're not accepting mm. what he's saying you are. I completely get what you're. I, no, where I you're see going what you with mean it too, though. 
Yeah. Well, so I, I can think of one example. Oh, so I I grew up way out in the country with no electricity. We didn't even have a front door key. And a lot of times we come home and he, remember, lives an hour away in mm -hmm. a much more major city with mm -hmm. his dad where they do lock their front doors. And so we get home and he asks me if the door is locked and I often say no. And he says something like, I can't believe you would do that because what if somebody comes in and takes my stuff? And and that's right. a moment where I might say something like, I'm sorry you feel that way because I I disagree with him and I'm not going to change my actions just because he feels like I should be doing something differently. Okay, let's talk about that. That's a Beautiful example. So here's what I'm saying you could say instead of, I'm sorry you feel that way. No wonder you feel that way. I get it. You live in a much more suburban area. You live where there's a lot more stuff going on. And of course you're going to feel that way. I get it. Or... You know, no wonder you are upset with me for leaving a door unlocked because you're very used to having your door locked. Mm, okay. See, then you're really getting to it rather than sort yeah, of disengaged kind of saying, yeah. I'm sorry you feel that way. And I would suggest, Ginger, I would suggest you saying, let's be sure and lock the door when you're here with me. We have locked it at night because he has mm -hmm. made that request okay. and and I don't mind. Yeah, that. I mean it's not um, like a hardship for you to lock the door even when you leave the house. No, it's not. When he's with you. Yeah. And that might make him feel safer. Okay. And it might go along with this judge somewhere has said you might not be safe to live with. Right. Okay. Yeah, I guess that is a good example. So it's not about changing my actions or or standing firm on my actions or my beliefs. It's okay to change something that he's voicing, even if he's saying it in a really negative, aggressive That's right. Tone. You're leaving go, that aside. Right, go to the root. Right. Whatever. Try right. to get to the root right. of what he's feeling right. when he says that. Right. Okay. And I think that if you can relate to him more this way where he's really feeling heard and you're accommodating and you're leaving the accusation aside you're not taking that personally you're dealing with the ants or whatever else comes up yeah that might ease things a little bit and maybe enough so that then there would be an opportunity to have the bigger talk with him okay so I have told him that I wasn't going to respond to him if he was yelling at me. So I guess I need to take that back. Um, well, let's see. What can you say about that? I Normally what I would say, if you didn't have this history with him, if he didn't feel all of these very, very complex feelings and yeah. worried about you dying... Yeah. Um, I would say, you should say to him, 
I don't want to be spoken to like that. I'll be in the kitchen or wherever when you can talk to me in a different tone. Mm -hmm. That's what I would normally say. However, I think before you can get to that, so keep that in your database, but before you can get to that, I think, again, if you can cut through the anger and hear what it is he's trying to tell you and address that, then the anger starts to dissipate. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I would much prefer it to happen naturally than to have him stop yelling at me because he yeah, uh, doesn't want yeah, to get in trouble yeah, or something. Yeah. So uh, if he's really being abusive and swearing at you just in general, then I would say, I don't want to hear this right now. Never you have to stop that. It's coming from me. Yeah. I don't want this. But if he's yelling something at you in anger that you can pull out from it and address, that's what I would do. There are a lot of different theories out there about how to react or address children's poor behavior. Mm -hmm. And yes. I, I've been work. I've had two sessions with a therapist who was recommended to me. I don't know what his exact title is, but might be parent coach or something like that. But I meet with him and we talk about Julian, similar to this. Mm -hmm. But he wrote me a parenting plan and he suggested that I sit down with Julian and explain that I will always take care of his needs. I will always make sure that he's fed, make sure that he has clothes, make sure that he has a roof over his head, things like that. But that for things that he wants, those are privileges that he gets only if he acts in a certain way. Mm. And so the the expectation is that, and that's why I used the term disrespectful. That was his term. He needs to behave in a respectful manner toward me. And if right. he doesn't... He loses this privilege that he wants, which he suggested was his Kindle, which Julian reads yes. on. And right, let me just jump right in and say that is based on the expectation that Julian can respond respectfully to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying he can't right. at this stage of the game. Right. He should, absolutely. Right. But right now he can't. Right. And if you punish him, taking away his Kindle is punishment. If you punish him for not doing what he can't do, then you're compounding the worthlessness. Yeah, I, it felt very wrong to me. Yeah. And I have I met with him a couple of weeks ago and I was supposed to sit down with Julian and I didn't because I just, I Good. know he needs his yes. Kindle to read on. Yes. He needs yes. to be in his room. And the, the coach said, well, doesn't he have physical books? So you're not taking away his ability to read. No, you're taking away his lifeline. You're taking yeah. away what's important. Yeah, and I do want, of course, I want him to feel like he has a place in my house where he feels like he can do what he wants and yeah. is his and... Yeah. And so on. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So hopefully you've got some things to work on here to think about. Yes. And 
be patient. Okay. That's my biggest advice to you is be patient. It's okay. going to take a while. It's a journey. Yeah. You're all on. Yeah, I do remind myself that in 20 years, he's not going to still be slamming doors and yelling right. at me. At least I hope, hope not. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Thank you so much, Ginger, for sharing this very heart-breaking story. Well, I hope that it helps somebody else. I am else. sure it will. And yeah. thank you for having me. Yes. And thanks for telling me about your kids. Thanks for listening. I'm Bonnie Harris. If you're curious to learn more or would like to talk to me personally, check out my website, bonnieharris.com, where you can also find my books, When Your Kids Push Your Buttons and Confident Parents' Remarkable Kids. There are also links in the liner notes. And please subscribe to Tell Me About Your Kids on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell Me About Your Kids is produced and scored by Echo Finch. Thank you.